0: On this episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast, we sit down with former Terp and 2020 World Series champion Adam Kolarik for an awesome conversation on his journey through baseball, his time at Maryland, and everything that led to him hoisting the Commissioner's Trophy with the Dodgers. Here we go. This is the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. Here's your host, Zach Solon. Welcome into episode 78 of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. I am Zach Solon, joined for the first time by Matt Levine for this really special episode. Now, Matt, there hasn't been a lot going on throughout this offseason. Obviously, been a very long offseason. The team did practice in the fall, but other than that, usually this point in the year, we have a schedule. Now, we expect a season to happen in the spring, but we don't know what it's going to look like.
1: Yeah, I mean, we had... A cancel or a postponed of a the season they shortened the season canceled it everybody had to go home back in March Would they play 15 games and that was on you went to Texas for dinner basically for spring break so now months later almost we're in a similar spot maybe a delayed season uh shortened season nobody really has any idea but there was a bright spot in the Terps and the MLB so
0: Exactly. We did have an MLB season and then about a month and a half ago and the Dodgers were the 2020 World Series champions. If you were following, it was actually two Terps that were in the World Series, Brandon Lau for the Rays and Adam Kolarik for the Dodgers. They actually did face off in the World Series. We'll talk about that later. But Kolarik uh, and the Dodgers obviously won the World Series, becoming making Kolarik the first Terp to win the, uh, the baseball's biggest title since... Uh, 1969, Juan Ron Swoboda did it with the amazing Mets. Um, so uh, really exciting. And Adam was nice enough to sit down with us, talk about his days at Maryland. And Matt, I thought it was a really great conversation without giving too much away.
1: Yeah, one of the best. I think uh, it's definitely one of the best interviews I've had uh, in my few years here at Maryland. And just such a good player to talk to. A lot of great stories from his time here and also his time through the minor leagues and in the big leagues.
0: Absolutely. So without further ado, let's get to the main event. Here is our interview with former Terp and World Series champion, Adam Kolarik. All right. We are now joined by Los Angeles Dodgers pitcher, 2020 World Series champion and Maryland Terrapin alum, Adam Kolarik. Adam, thanks for joining us today. How are you?
2: I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me on your uh, show.
0: Yeah. Well, thanks for doing this. We're very excited to talk to someone, obviously, who played in the MLB especially during this pandemic season and you got a world series out of it. So why don't you, we start with that. We'll start at the present. What was it like playing this past year with no fans in the stands, you know, 60 game season, just take me through everything from the time you found out the season would be happening until, you know, you hoisted the trophy.
2: Sure. I think um, one of the more strange moments was just when we were in the original spring training in March. And, you know, as, as, things began to progress, you know, just across the world, you know, it was kind of just whispers here and there, of, you know, what's going to happen. And the thought of what would, you know, follow, you know, really didn't cross our minds at first. At first, we kind of were thinking maybe we'll be put on hold for a week or two and, and maybe resume or maybe just, you know, have to, you know, pick back up on workouts, you know, maybe in April. So the thought that, it went from just a couple days a couple weeks to you know everybody just went home um you know that our spring training was in Arizona so I went came back here to Maryland and you know the weeks obviously turned into months and then with all the speculation of when we were hoping to start back up um began you know we were still not convinced that we were going to be able to pull it off um just as a whole you know you figure uh it was just so many logistics that had to go correctly for us to even start back up in August. So, um, you know, I was really p- very pleasantly surprised that we were able to, you know, get in 60 games. Uh, you know, the, the second spring training, we called it summer camp that happened in July was huge because um, I think, you know, granted, it was only two, three, two or three weeks long, but it really played a big role. in, I think prepping our pitchers, especially, and obviously the hitters wanted to see as many live at bats as they could before the season started. So, you know, all the credit in the world goes to all the trainers and medical staff that each and every team has. Um, They were asked to do things all year long that they were not used to doing and uh, went way outside of their, uh, you know, what they've done their whole careers. So, uh, they they kept us uh, healthy and made sure we were following all the protocols as well as making sure the testing went uh, ran smoothly. So uh, it was certainly different, and uh, just the fact that we were able to start up on time, uh, well on time as in August and play, uh, you know, relatively without uh, even pausing. You know, we had, um, you know, obviously everyone knows about the Marlins kind of had an outbreak there, but you know, for the most part, uh, you know, we just had. Sp- Uh, We, as in the Dodgers, we didn't have anything to deal with until the World Series, obviously, that final game where we had, uh, you know, Justin test positive. So, you know, for the most part, you know, we got used to the protocols. Um, It just became a part of our normal routine, Uh, you know, being tested every single morning, social distancing in the locker room, all of our meals that we would eat. We would eat in the stands, you know, before the game, as opposed to in our food room in the locker room. So like I said, we just kind of got used to it and, um, you know, bought into the new rules. And that's why we were able to pull it off.
0: That's great. One thing I wanted to notice or wanted to talk about with this past season, obviously there was no fans in the stands, but there was all the social distancing protocols and whatnot. And you're only there 60 games. It was your first full season on the Dodgers. Do you think it brought you closer together uh, with your teammates uh, in Los Angeles? Or do you think it was still, you know, harder to make maybe, you know, connections with them, given that you were, you'd come there in the middle of last season and then, you know, didn't uh, have the opportunity to bond with them, maybe as close. It was it like, what was that like?
2: So I think the off the field bonding certainly took a hit. Um, You know, unfortunately, like we, with the different rules, we actually even normally we would just have one bus where everybody, I mean, we would have multiple buses throughout the day, take us to the field, but you know, those moments where we get off the plane into a new city and we all get on one bus and, you know, we're all together hanging out and, you know, just enjoying each other's company. And, you know, that's the real team bonding that happens is kind of off the field. You know, when you get into a new town, you go out to dinner together and you hang out, you know, um, you know, in the new cities. So, you know, that, that certainly took a hit. Uh, you know, we really weren't uh, encouraged to even hang out with each other in hotel rooms. Um, so we had to stay distant that way. But that we, you know, in the the same breath, I think because we were all dealing with, you know, the strange circumstances, we bonded at the field and we bonded during the games, I think, uh, even more so. Because honestly, the only time this whole year felt normal was during the games. It was, uh, you know, once the action started and you were on the mound or at the plate, You know, I think that for everybody was one of the only times you can really point to and say for sure that, all right, you know,
1: this, this part feels normal. And you guys playing a 60 game season, obviously a normal season would be 162 games plus the postseason. So your mindset going in, knowing your appearances are going to be cut short already, just because it's only 60 games. Does that have you attacking your mentality when you're coming into a game? And attacking every appearance differently, just knowing that you never really know when the last one could come of that season. You're right. I think
2: one of the things that it really did was, um, you know, say you feel an ache or a pain in uh, in a normal season in May or June, and you know that maybe you just have a tight back or you know a sore arm. You might you know, you might ask for a day. Hey, can I you know. If, if you need me today just you know I don't know how much I can give you you know because you're looking towards the whole season as you know I have a hundred more games to play and playoffs so you know you're trying to make smart decisions so you don't get injured um, whereas I think during this year if you at least for me personally you know, I would feel the same little thing here or there where maybe in a normal year I would say hey I could maybe you know use a break tonight you know Um, I, I think with the shortened season, everyone was really just pushing a little bit harder and realizing that, Hey, I might be sore now, but you know, I have, you know, such a small window to play this year that you kind of suck up, you know, those little aches and pains even more. So I felt like, because it was such a sprint, you know, it was, um, you know, in 60 game season, anybody in any division can, you know, have a good month and with a good month, you're basically in playoff contention all of a sudden, you know, it, um, you know, I think for the most part, uh, you know, when you looked up and down the standings across the league, you know, the better teams that you kind of thought might make the playoffs in a 162 game season, for the most part, I think everyone made the playoffs and it certainly helped, um, you know, how they added more teams to the playoffs this year to create, you know, I I think that allowed for teams, you know, if, if we got off to a bad start, you know, maybe we could still slide in, you know, the eighth seed or something and then make the playoffs. Um, so I think it helped teams if they got off to a slow start to, to have a few uh, more playoff teams. Um, but for the most part, yeah, with that shortened season, I think everybody knew that we needed to just push down as hard as we could on the gas pedal for 60 games um, and getting a good, you know, seating for the playoffs. And obviously once the playoffs hit, you know, your adrenaline's going so hard and um, you know, it's, it's easy
1: to play in, in those games when it means so much. And you mentioned uh, just a couple of minutes ago, Justin Turner testing positive at the end of game six. And he came out, I think in the eighth inning. Um, just take us through kind of how that spread. I don't know if you were in the bullpen or in the dugout for that, how that kind of spread around the field. And then if you saw him come out and kind of celebrate with you guys at the end.
2: Yeah, it was very strange, uh, obviously. Um, so I was in the bullpen and the way that we found out was, um, a few of our starters, Kershaw and Walker Buehler came down into our bullpen to be kind of an emergency arm down there in case we went into extra innings. Um, And Walker came down right after the whole, you know, substitution was made. So he had the information. Honestly, when he told us, we were like, come on, like, no way. Like, that can't be right. Um, And then once he was like, no, like, I'm serious. You know, he explained how everything, everything he heard in the dugout of how, you know, we literally got a call from our gm who was up you know in the stands down to the dugout phone and our manager picked up and was told hey we just got you know word from ownership from mlb that you know unfortunately justin tested positive and we had to remove them immediately so i mean it's it's so i mean it's surreal now to even bring back up but um when when we found out it was true our hearts just broke for him because you know other than you know clayton you know, Kenlyn Jansen, you know, the next name is Justin Turner. Who's been there just, you know, just as long as those guys and, you know, have fought so hard to be back in the world series. That was his third time in the last four years, which is crazy. And, and for him not to be on the field immediately, you know, from, from his third base position to join us, you know, in the, in the dog pile in the middle of the field, you know, it was, we felt terrible for him um, and then, yeah, in in the moment, you know, it was, I I don't know what I would have done if that was my, you know, if I was in that position, you know, a lot of our teammates were telling, come on, man, just come out, you know, you deserve to be out here with us. And, you know, it's, it it is kind of strange for all of us, you know, especially, you know, we have families to think about, and, you know, I have a one-year-old, there's a lot of kids running around. We obviously all have parents back home that we want to celebrate with, but, you know, in the moment, you know, we just wanted him out there with us. And I think, you know, part of us was probably like, you know, the season's over, you know, it's okay. Like we're going to go home. Like we don't have to, you know, worry about the protocols. And, you know, that was maybe not the smartest decision in the moment, but you know, when you're, when you want to celebrate and you want to give the guy a big hug for all his, you know, I mean, playoffs are never guaranteed. World series appearances are never guaranteed. And then to finally cross the finish line this year, you know, we just wanted him out there with us. And, you know, he's one of the most charitable giving people, You know, in all of baseball, and he has—he does such great work with his charity foundation. So, I mean, the guy is—you know—on the field, off the field, just an awesome person. So, you know, you know, he was the last person he wanted to have that happen to, and you know, I hope it didn't take away too much from his uh, joy of being a world champion.
0: Absolutely. So, I want to turn it back here and go pretty far back in time, and go back to how you came about to be a Maryland Terrapin. So, obviously, you grew up in Baltimore. Uh, played high school ball in Maryland. What made you ultimately decide to join the Terp squad back in, I guess it was 2008? Because you were stud in high school. You played not just pitcher. You're a pretty good lefty, but also could play the outfield and hit pretty well. Uh, from from the research we did, and obviously from from the tale of those who played with you. So tell us a little bit about what it was like finishing out of high school and then choosing to stay in your uh, in your home state.
2: Sure. So I mean, growing up uh, in Baltimore, like you said. Um, you know, having Maryland as the college that I rooted for, for, you know, basketball and football, you know, I mean, the, the, the college teams, you know, that come out of there, you, growing up in Maryland, you kind of rooted for them, like they're a pro team, you know, I mean, I was, you know, very lucky. I I was what, I guess 11 when the Terps won the championship in basketball and they had some ACC championships against Duke. So rooting for Maryland was something I've been doing my whole life. Um, when i got the you know a couple letters and phone calls from the university's you know baseball team at the time uh from those from the coaches that were there you know i was just floored with the thought that i would get to at the time still compete in the acc which you know is still a great baseball conference um and that was one of the main reasons i wanted to go to maryland um, because of the competition that we'd be playing with every night uh, or against every night and and obviously going into those games we were we were you know the underdog um, but that taught me a lot in college you know that you know size doesn't matter um, you know you can't you know uh, you have to outwork your opponent you know you can't just you know go in there thinking you're going to be outmatched but you know it's the preparation that you put in all week long to prepare for those games so those are the kind of things I learned at Maryland and uh, you know I looked forward to right as a freshman and like you said, you know, I had the opportunity to play a little bit of the field as well at Maryland. um, And that was a big draw because I I still love, you know, every pitcher loves hitting and thinks that they can, you know, be a hitter, uh, you know, at the, at the drop of a hat. And, uh, you know, I had some moments at the plate too, which, you know, was something that, you know, I'll always remember. And, and um, so, yeah, choosing to go to Maryland was, was very easy because, you know, it was a big time conference and it still is now that they're in the big 10, you know, it's no different. I think, uh, being a Northeast school, it's always going to be hard to compete against, you know, Southern sports and who are outside all winter long while we're, you know, indoors or, you know, in 20 degree weather working out outside. So I think being in the big 10 is a big, it's the right decision for, well, not that they had a decision, but it's the right uh, fit for Maryland baseball for sure, because you're kind of in a bracket where you get to play against, you know, teams are similar in similar boats there with the weather situations, but, um, Maryland is now a baseball school in my opinion. You know, they get the great recruits and that's thanks to the coaches that they have there now. So I think, uh, I think the kids in the area who have an opportunity to play at Maryland should be just as excited as I was to attend.
0: So a little bit about your college career. What are some of the things that made you want to go into the draft after your junior year and forego your senior season? Um, obviously you were one of the top pitchers in the country but was there any thought there that maybe you should spend one more year obviously there was the head coaching change uh, going into your junior year but talk a little bit about that and, and what went into your ultimate decision to enter the draft in 2010
2: sure yeah i was not you know a highly sought after draft pick at all you know I, when when the draft rolled around i was i had no idea what to expect um, i think you know obviously i had a little bit of an advantage being a tall lanky left-handed pitcher so i mean scouts you know look at people like me and try to project out where, you know, where a person like me might end up in a few years. So I think I just had a couple things in my corner where, you know, I would, I had some good moments at Maryland and honestly, I never really put together one of those seasons where, you know, you're looking at like, Hey, that's, that's the guy, you know, that's the best pitcher on the team. You know, I, I honestly, I don't think I ever really was the best pitcher at Maryland um, on any given uh, roster but you know, that didn't mean I wasn't still learning along the way. I think my ability in in recent years has honestly caught up to all the work I put in, you know, in between the years, as far as my intelligence and how to pitch, you know, I feel like I was always learning how to get guys out, but my ability level wasn't there. So I think I've kind of caught up a little bit and my, my pitches have gotten better over the years. And, uh, but I attribute a lot of the, um, mental game to, to my time spent in Maryland and, uh, as far as foregoing my senior year, you know, I, I, did, I did think about it. you know, I, I did, you know, I didn't rush that decision at all. It was, it was certainly thought out. And, you know, for me, uh, you know, injuries are always, you know, can always happen. Um, as a senior, you obviously don't have, you know, really any leverage as far as uh, when you sign compared to when you're a junior. So, um, you know, the scout with the Mets that drafted me, you know, expressed a lot of interest and, and really felt like I would have a good opportunity in the minor league system which I did you know I, I had good success in the minors with the Mets um, didn't make it you know past double-a really but, um, but the opportunity was there for me you know after my junior year and um, you know the great part was you know personally I met my future wife my junior year at Maryland um, so she was still in school and obviously a lot of my friends were still on the team when I should have been a senior so, you know, I got to go play some pro ball and come back the following fall and hang out with all my friends and my, at the time, girlfriend and just enjoy kind of the, uh, you know, the fun part of uh, being in college. But I didn't have to take any classes. You know, I was, I was going to play pro ball and go to spring training the next year. So kind of had a little, uh, you know, I had just as much fun and got to be with everyone that I loved and met at Miram.
0: Absolutely. And then in 2010, your junior year, there was a head coaching change. Obviously, Eric Backich came in and obviously he went on to coach at Michigan, led them to a College World Series uh, semifinal or final last year, the National Runners Up. Do you still have a relationship with him? What was it like at the time with him coming in and, you know, uh, how much have you worked with him and are you still in touch with him and seeing how he is, you know, had his success?
2: Yeah, off and on, you know, we, we do stay in touch. Uh, you know, I, I get very nice uh, texts from him every now and then. And, you know, he's followed my career. And um, actually, uh, you know, actually, just right now, a memory popped back in that when I told him that I was going to sign um, and not come back for my senior year, you know, he told me just how proud he was of me and told me that he hoped that I would be the first Terp he coached to make it to the big leagues. And he said, you know, you're on your way. And, you know just he just wished me that and um and what was really cool too when i was in the minors with the mets when he went to michigan they would come down to florida and scrimmage um some other colleges you know in the early months and they actually played some games at my spring training complex in port st Lucie. and one day i come into my locker and um written as a note on i had like a shoebox of uh for my cleese in my locker and he had handwritten a note on there just saying, uh, you know, hi and wishing me all the best in spring training. So, yeah, I mean, he um, I only had him for one year, like you said, my junior year, but he made a big impact on me, especially with the mental toughness side of things. And, um, you know, I always felt like a a stronger, not just pitcher, but a stronger athlete and a stronger, you know, man progressing past college into uh, trying to make my pro career happen.
1: So I, I do owe him a lot, even though I only got to spend one year with him. And you said you attribute a lot of the mental game that you kind of picked up at Maryland and bring with you forward. And baseball is an extremely mental game. Yogi Berra's famous quote is that baseball is 90% mental, the other half is physical. What are some of those things that you learned mentally at Maryland that help you moving forward in your career?
2: Yeah, for me, I've I've always been a reliever, even at Maryland. I, a majority of my appearances were as a reliever. So, you know, most of the time when you're coming into a game, you know, the, you know, stuff has hit the fan a little bit and you're, you're out there to try to put out the fire. And, um, you know, like I was saying before, you know, my ability level, you know, wasn't anywhere near where it's at now when I, especially when I was in college. So, you know, having to go out there in those big college atmospheres and try to get people out and try not to let the, you know, say the tying run score from second, you know, those are the things that you you don't just have success at right away. You know, I think you have to learn different approaches, uh, you know, with guys on base and, you know, if it's a lefty, if it's a righty, so all those little things that kind of happen along the way that have built who I am through the years. Um, you know, like you said, it comes from the mental side because, you know, one thing I always tell myself when I come into those situations, you know, bases loaded or second and third is, you know, nothing bad has happened yet, you know, and, and with being a pitcher, the ball is always in your hand. So, you know, you decide kind of, you know, you can control your nerves, you can control the pace at which you are, you know, attacking the hitter. You know, are you rushing? Are you, you know, frantic? Is your mind spinning a little bit? So for me, uh, you know, learning how to control my breathing, and control my thoughts and keep a clear head, even though, you know, it looks chaotic on the bases. you know, I have to remember that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's the same practice that I've been doing all day long, all year long to, to, for those moments. And uh, you know, you learn how to kind of drown out the crowd a little bit and, and focus in on those finer things of, of what your you know exact intentions are. So I learned that a lot in college. Um, and you know, my whole journey through the minors is really about more getting my ability level to help me <laughs> through those situations because you know you can be as mentally tough as you want and you know and be in control, but at the same time you still have to have the ability and you know, for me, movement on my pitches to uh, help me get
1: out of those kind of jams. And in the three years you pitched at Maryland, a lot of that was rebuilding years for the program. Um, You guys didn't win more than nine games in the ACC. That was the most you guys won. You did twice your freshman and sophomore year. So what is that like knowing that you kind of paved the way for the guys after you that had so much success going to deep in the NCAA tournament?
2: Yeah, I mean, when we would win, you know, you look at the season, so you play 30 uh, in-conference games a year, so you know, three know, weekend. So for us, if we won one game per weekend, that was kind of like a big deal. You know, we didn't get swept, but you know, each game we're fighting. And I remember my freshman year, we actually lost nine one-run in-conference games. So we won nine games that year. So if we win half of those games that we lost by one, you know, now you're looking at 14, 15 wins and uh, then you're obviously probably making the ACC uh, tournament so going through those games where it's so close I mean talk about being thrown into the fire you know the games were always close and you have to come in with uh, with the game on the line so you know getting through those tough moments you know you often learn a lot more about yourself through the tougher times you know when things are going easy and you got your best pitches and you're feeling good at the plate as a hitter you know it's easy to play baseball then, but it's, it's, it's when you're, you know, fighting every single day, you know, it feels like every little thing can be a struggle. That's when you really learn a lot more about yourself as far as, you know, what you have inside, because I think that I was toughened up by a lot of failures early on and, and you know, those tough games where we didn't come out on top, you know, it does take a while to learn how to win too. You know, you have to learn what it takes as a team, especially to learn how to win, you know, it doesn't just happen. I think sometimes when you watch games on TV, you think that, you know, just ability alone can make a team win, but um, you know, ability can only go so far. So like, I look at my team this year, you know, that I got to be a part of with the Dodgers. I mean, we didn't lose too many games in a row. And I think that's a huge thing to, uh, you know, when you could, you know, some teams might go on those five, 10, you know, plus game losing streets, streaks, excuse me. You know, that's really how your season goes down the drain. So if you're able to cut, cut off the bleeding a little bit and you know don't let one loss turn into five or two into ten so you know you learn how to bounce back the next night you have a short-term memory when uh, when you've made a mistake and realize that you can control things from here on out you can't change what happened before so for me you know at Maryland those tough games taught me a lot and obviously like I said before Maryland is a baseball school now They know how to win. They've been through those tough moments. And, uh, you know, even though the coaching staffs have changed, it's all about being a culture too. So that culture there has been cultivating now for 10 years, uh, dating back to when I was kind of wrapping up is when, uh, you know, the team started playing pretty well. And I think, like I said, you know, you learn how to win, you learn what it takes to be a winner. And then as your ability gets better, you know, obviously the team gets better bring in better recruits and it starts to snowball from there so they're in a great position now and I think a lot has to do with just the culture that's there.
0: So you talk about what you learned obviously about winning and playing baseball but you also said you learned a lot about yourself so after Maryland you got drafted and then you spent a lot of years in the minors didn't make your debut until 2017 and in between there obviously like many pitchers uh, at that level you were in a grind and you were released a couple of times, signed some, some free agent minor league deals, and then eventually uh, landed out in Tampa Bay. So what did you also learn about yourself during that time? And what were some of the ups and downs of being in the minors for that long?
2: Yeah, I, um, I got to A, you know, relatively quickly. You know, uh, I made it there in 2012, which was only two years after I was drafted. So when I went to AA for the first full season in 2013, I had a great year. And I thought in 2014 that I would break and go to triple A. And I ended up going back to double A and had a really bad season. Uh, You know, it seemed like it was one of those years where it was like, if I wasn't, uh, you know, if I was throwing strikes, they were just, you know, blooping balls in. If I was, if I was, you know, just missing on the corner, you know, they were taking it for a ball, you know, it was. I just felt like I couldn't catch a break and every, you know, every base hit fell in or I was walking people. So I definitely deserved a bad year then. So um, I went back again in 2015 to AA and kind of started off the same way. It was, it was, it was not looking good. uh, You know, especially statistically. So uh, I ended up making a change in 2015 and became and decided to drop my arm slot to be more of a side armor. Um, It was something that I really just decided to do on my own. You know, I think, um, I decided, you know, I was over the top from my uh, normal arm slot. I would, I would throw like 90, 91. Um, so the velocity, you know, it wasn't certainly wasn't big league, you know, fast, you know, it wasn't mid nineties and, and I wasn't striking people out. So I just, des- I s- decided to go for more of the, uh, how can I move the ball as much as possible? So I started throwing sinkers from that side arm slot, which a lot of hitters just don't see, you know, it's not a, it's not a common arm slot. And, um, you know, I can't really explain why it worked, especially kind of right away, but I started to have really good success and get a lot of ground balls and weaker contact. And, you know, I was really tough on lefty hitters. So uh, I played some winter ball uh, in Puerto Rico to kind of iron in that arm slot. And, uh, you know, cause it's a whole new delivery. It's a whole new mechanic that I had to kind of retrain my arm, you know, how to throw from that slot. Um, so yeah, when that opportunity came with Tampa Bay, you know, they, I guess they had seen at some point, cause I didn't, uh, play against them in that double A season when I was with the Mets throwing sidearm for the first time. So, um, you yeah, know, I guess they saw maybe some video or one of the scouts was there and, and, I'm really fortunate that they gave me the opportunity because, you know, as, as you've seen from Tampa Bay, you know, they have a lot of different arms, you know, coming out of their bullpen all the time. You know, they have the high velocity. They have uh, splitters, they have, you know, there's another righty side armor, there's a lefty side arm. So we kind of offer a lot of looks there in Tampa Bay, which I think, uh, you know, was just the right fit for me. You know, they they could see that I had a unique ability and a unique, uh, obviously, uh, way of doing things from that arm slot. So it was just a really good fit. And the development uh, group that they have there to help, you know, even the minor leaguers, um, you know, they really take a lot of pride in developing from within. And, you know, they're not going out and necessarily signing the biggest free agent every year. They're trying to develop minor leaguers as much as they can. So it was just a perfect fit. And they really, um, you know, without, you know, the help that they offered me and the minors, you know, I I wouldn't have uh, progressed as far as I have.
0: So then obviously that day comes in 2017. It was uh, June 29th. And you finally made your first big league appearance. Tell us what it was like getting the call up to the majors and then getting that call from the bullpen to come out.
2: It was really, I mean, it was one of the most special moments of my life. Um, um, You know, getting, so, you know, it was after a game in the minors. I was in AAA there in Durham and my pitching coach, who's now the big league pitching coach with Tampa, you know, I'm after the game, I'm at my, uh, we're in the food room just eating dinner and he comes over just taps me on my shoulder and just kind of gave me a little head nod like hey man come talk to me and he uh he brought me into the coach's locker room and you know when you get brought into the office you know it's usually one of two things you're going up or you're going down and uh the minors up until that point you know I've unfortunately seen uh, my share of both um so I didn't I knew I was throwing really well so I I really didn't think I was going down but you know you still have to wait to hear the words so he pulls me into the office and actually handed me a beer and uh, he had one for himself. And he was like, come on, man. And uh, we go into my manager's office and we all sit down and he just had a big smile on his face and and told me that uh, I was heading to to Pittsburgh in the morning, which is where Tampa was playing. So, um, you know, getting to call my dad, talk to my mom on the phone, you know, I can barely get the words out. I was crying and and, you know, the, guy, the, the guys I played with there in the minors and in the big leagues were just the best. And, you know, they knew you know, I was 28, you know, a lot of the guys I was playing with, especially in the minors, were 23, 24. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, there are obviously others like me who were in their late 20s, but they were just so supportive and they knew that, you know, it was a long time, uh, uh, you know, grind just to get that opportunity. So getting to go to Pittsburgh and make my debut, you um, and at the time too, you know, Tampa, you know, we still had Longoria, um, you know, we had some, some veteran guys that were just so much fun to play with. And, you know, I was kind of, you know, you're, you're like a little kid and you're kind of in awe of just seeing these people <laughs> and to realize that, you know, they're your teammates and, and, um, and you get to play with them and, and be a part of their team is, uh, you know, it's very special. And even now, I mean, you know, I have almost three years now of, of, of major league time, but, not a day goes by that it still doesn't feel surreal, you know, kind of every day, you know, you don't get used to it. You know, it's really, it's just so much fun. And, you know, I I don't take it for granted that, you know, I get to play this game and, you know, that I've been watching and and loving my whole life. Um,
1: You know, it is very special. And you said you get transported from Durham to Pittsburgh, did you fly there or take a bus, had that work? And then kind of what's going through your head, knowing I might appear in my first game tomorrow?
2: Yeah, I didn't want to, so after the last AAA game, uh, you know, I go back to the hotel room and pack it up. And um, I definitely didn't sleep hardly at all that night. I was just so amped up and wired. And, you know, I flew into Pittsburgh, um, cause I, we were actually on the road um, when I was with Durham. So we were, I think in Indianapolis, so I flew from Indy to Pittsburgh and, you know, taking the the cab or the Uber from uh, from the airport to the stadium. I mean, that, that was cool in itself, you know, just getting to tell the cab driver, you know, they're going to Pirate Stadium, you know. <laughs> so, and then, you know, you pull in to the side lot, you don't really know where to go. You know, it's like, you know, as, as a fan, you know where the gates are to get in, but it's like, as a player, how do I get in this huge stadium that's secured? And <laughs> how do I get in? So, you know, you find your way down into the locker room and you're just, you know, you're trying to not get caught smiling and like, you know, looking like you're just a 10 year old, but, uh, you know, walking into the locker room for the first time and, you know, getting to shake everyone's hands and introduce myself um, was was really special. Cause that year, you know, when I wasn't in a uh, major league camp, you know, with the, uh, with the team. So I didn't really get to know or meet many of the guys in spring training. so getting to be around them for the first time uh, after being called up was, uh, was awesome. And then you find your locker and you try to unpack and go, you know, go about your normal routine a little bit or find a new routine at that big league level, just because you have to prepare yourself for that game. So yeah, just controlling my emotions and my excitement was definitely the the biggest thing. And I was, I didn't get in the very first game uh, that I was, you know, in the, On the team, which uh, was kind of nice, honestly, it was nice just to sit in the bullpen and and take it all in and get to know the guys. And then I made my debut the following night.
1: So, um, so yeah, I was glad to have that one night of just uh, settling in. And when did you feel settled in right after that? Or was it when the next day when you made your first pitch or even your first strikeout after an inning and a third?
2: yeah i mean i don't know if i ever have felt settled in you know i think i take every day it's almost like a tryout you know you have to perform especially in a bullpen you know you need you know guys who can be reliable and hot and have the hot hand and uh so for me i know i take that approach you know um of feeling like i have to try out every single day because you have to prove yourself every single day so uh yeah, for me, it was very, it was a very unique uh, debut, the first pitch I threw. So there was runners on first and second, McCutcheon was on second. And the first pitch I threw, they tried to double steal. So I threw a strike, which I was happy about, you know, I was just trying to throw a pitch that the catcher could catch. You know, I honestly, I was just like, don't spike it, don't throw it in the stands, you know, don't hit the batter, you know, I was just trying to make sure the catcher caught it. So I threw a strike, and then our our catcher threw the guy out at third base. So Longoria caught it, tagged out McCutcheon, and then we're jogging in together. Uh, And Longoria was just, he said something like, just, hey man, nice pitch or something like that. And he flipped me the ball. So I got to keep the ball, you know, from that uh, first outing. And like you said, I got to go out for the next inning and I was able to strike one guy out. So it was all uh, a little bit of a blur. Uh, My parents were there. My uh, wife was there with her parents. So uh, I got to see them before the game and, you know, take some pictures and have that little kid moment of, uh, you know, my having my family there and, you know, getting to hang out with them after the game. You know, it's, it's something that I had dreamed of my whole life. You know, it was even sweeter in the moment than I could have ever imagined. And um, and, and baseball is crazy because, you know, in one sense, you, you know, you cross a finish line, so to speak, of, you know, accomplishing your goal. But then you realize you still have to perform and if you want to stay you have to perform <laughs> so it doesn't just end once you uh get called up you know it almost kind of restarts in a sense you know you have That's that's what i meant by having to try out and prove yourself every day because if you want to stay you have to perform so you can't just kind of coast and and be happy that you made it um you know it is it is satisfying for sure and i'll appreciate it even more you know 20 30 years from now but um you know you do kind of have to make a new finish line for yourself and just kind of see how far you can keep going.
0: So you speak about the craziness of baseball. You experience what I imagine has to be is one of the craziest things to happen to a baseball player. You were traded at the deadline in 2019. Now you were having a good year that year come, you know, July 31, your ERA was under four. So tell me what that was like, you know, having to pack up, move across the country, going to the Dodgers who were having a great year coming off two NL pennants. You know what was that like was there any idea that maybe you were on the trading block and then just that final meeting uh, before they told you to pack it up and, and head to la
2: sure i mean uh it was beyond crazy so we were actually so when i was with tampa uh that day we were in boston and uh it was about so the trade deadline's 4 p.m at literally 3:55, i'm in the food room eating lunch with the guys about ready to go out for batting practice, you know, and pitchers just stretch and play catch and then shag BP. So, um, five minutes before four, uh, my manager pops into the food room. It was like, Hey, come, come talk to me real quick. And I was just, and like you say, you know, I was throwing good, you know, I wasn't throwing amazing, but I certainly wasn't throwing bad. So, um, I was like, man, I, I thought I was getting sent down <laughs> just because that's usually, like I said, that's all, that all it's uh, that's all the messages you get. So um, he told me that, you know, we weren't, uh, we weren't, you know, expecting this, we weren't planning this, but you know, we got a phone call and you know, you just been traded to the Dodgers. <laughs> and my head, I was just like, what, <laughs> like, how is that possible? Uh, Cause I mean, Hey, I, I'm very realistic in, in everything that happens and, you know, growing up my whole life following baseball, you know, people in the trading blocks are, you know, starting pitchers or the, or the, you know, maybe the big left-handed bat that is going to help somebody down the uh, playoff stretch and, and help for a playoff run, you know, not often are, you know, lefty relievers who um, who are the ones traded at the, <laughs> at the literally trade deadline. So um, it was a surprise, you know, uh, and they told me that, you know, they weren't looking to trade me. It just the offer came through. And, you know, as I learned, you know, once I flew out to LA, it was, um, you know, one of their lefties had gotten hurt and, you know, it's a good lesson, you know, that, you know, I'd learned at an early age, but, you know, it's an old adage of kind of like, you have to play, you, you never know who's watching, you know, you have to always try your hardest and then be at your best because you never know, Who's watching? It could be a kid. It could be a scout. You know, it could be another coach that wants you to play for the university. You know, so I always took that approach, you know, growing up, you know, I had to, you know, you don't goof around, you know, during the game, you know, you take stuff seriously, you hustle on and off the field, all those little things. So I've always taken that approach. And so even at the major league level, you know, you never know who's watching it. You think you're on the raise. And, you know, I had actually pitched against the Dodgers earlier in the year and done pretty well. Uh, you know, I, they have a ton of lefties in their lineup. So I was uh, pitching a few times against the Dodgers actually, and had good success, especially against their lefties. So when uh, when you know they had some injuries happen to their lefties, um, they reached out, I guess, to Tampa and, and inquired about me and worked out a deal. So um having to go back into the food room because everyone was like what happened you know what what the managers say and having to tell them uh they were just like what <laughs> like they couldn't believe it either you know, just things like you just don't expect so it was um it was a wild experience my wife who was gosh six seven months pregnant at the time was with me in boston and i had to send her a text that hey pack up the hotel room or we're, we're, we're going to l.a so uh, so it was insane. It was it was a it was a flurry of emotions and, and getting to, uh, you know, go from Boston that night and fly across country and be in a Dodger uniform the next night was was crazy. So it uh, it was uh, it happened fast. You know, they don't really give you time to, you know, go pack up your apartment or anything back in Tampa. You know, it's pack up your bags. We'll mail you stuff if you need it. And uh, you're a Dodger now. So it was uh, it was pretty surreal.
1: And one of the guys you were teammates with and left behind was a former Turk, Brandon Lau. You were roommates with him as well. Um, then you get traded to the Dodgers a year later, make it to the world series against your former team and against Brandon Lau um, striking him out in the world series. Just what's the, what's your relationship like with Brandon Lau and facing him in the world series, knowing that you won the battle there. I <laughs> uh, mean, he was, he's a, he's a great friend. Um, he,
2: he, so when I was with Tampa, um, he was, I was already with the big league team and then he got called up. So I was there for his debut, uh, which was just awesome. You know, we had gotten to know each other prior to then, but once he got called up, we got to know each other even better. And yeah, like you said, we roomed together. We would get Airbnbs in the St. Pete area when we were in town just because, you know, being rookies and, you know, you know, you're never sure of your, uh, like I was saying before, how long you'll be anywhere. So you kind of keep things, uh, as fluid as possible, so we just did the Airbnb route and rented week to week together. But um, our wives have become friends, and you know we have a great friendship. You know, it's just you know it's easy you know to bond over uh, baseball, and it's especially easy to bond over uh, going to the same college as 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 we did. You know, we didn't get to play with each other in college, obviously, but we had some uh, overlapping teammates, so we, we had some mutual friends there. So, uh, you know, getting to face him, you know, who would have ever guessed or predicted that, you know, it's just one of those uh, baseball moments where the stars aligned and, you know, heading into the series, you know, once Tampa, you know, clinched, and we knew we were playing against them. Um, then, you know, I obviously know ahead of time, most likely I'm going to face a lot of the lefties that they have in their batting order. And, you know, he's one of the best left-handed hitting hitters in the whole league, So uh, he's also, you know, which to me, I know he won't be pinch hit for if I come in to face him, you know, they're going to let him hit. So um, getting to face him, um, you know, when we talked last week uh, on the other, um, on the other Zoom event, you know, I told him he was just unlucky that he batted third um, when I came in to pitch because the first guy, you know, I was, I was nervous, you know, it was the world series, my first appearance and, I just wasn't quite on my game. So the first guy I faced, I ended up walking on four pitches. And then the second guy, I kind of locked it in a little bit, felt better, got him to fly out. And then Brandon came up and by then I was locked in. So I just had everything grooved and uh, I knew right where I was, uh, you know, what my plan of attack was. I knew where I wanted to throw the ball. And it was just, it was one of those zones you kind of get in, you know, no matter what sport, you know, you just know when you have it. And uh, that was one of those times where I knew that, you know, he was in trouble.
0: So you and Brandon have a lot in common, uh, obviously besides being Terps. You also had the privilege, I could call it, of playing all your collegiate home games at Bob Turtlesmith Stadium, which as we all know could be the coldest of nights, the hottest of days, a fun ballpark to play in. We love it in College Park. So we'll end on this, Adam. What is, if you could narrow it down to one, your favorite memory of the Bob?
2: Oh, wow. So... For me, like I said, I had a little bit of an opportunity to play the field and play a position at Maryland. Um, And what was really interesting is it it came my junior year. So when when I signed to go to Maryland, they told me, hey, you might play the field a little bit, too. But when I came, we had a lot of seniors who were position players, so I didn't get an opportunity. And then when Coach Backage came my junior year, he had no idea that I could even remotely play. And I hadn't played in two years. But uh, our first baseman at the time got hurt in fall practice. So I filled in for that uh, to finish the fall scrimmage. I, I was just like, hey, I'll play first base. You know, I'll, I'll finish the game. He was like, you can play first? I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll play first as long as you let me hit. And he was like, okay, you can hit. So I, I ended up getting a base, little single base hit, you know, and we were you know, short on, uh, short on our roster. And uh, I ended up playing some that season. But my best memory at Maryland, I actually came in, To pinch hit. Uh it was a Saturday night game against North Carolina at home. And uh, so it was tie game. And the first pitch the guy threw, I was looking fastball, and he threw a fastball down and in, and I absolutely crushed it down the right field line. And it was going, going, and then just went foul right at the end. So I stepped out, I was like, man, I was like, that was my opportunity. That would have been sweet. Um, so I stepped back in the box, I was like, all right, he's not gonna throw me another fastball, I'm gonna sit slider. So sure enough, he threw me a slider the next pitch and I hit it even further uh, in the right center field onto the practice football field. So I had a little walk-off memory there and my whole family was there, my uncles, my best friends. So that was the best part about going to school, You know, not too far from home. All my buddies um, came to the game because they knew after the game we could go out. <laughs> and, and, and And so once we won, it was even more reason to celebrate and, uh, and, uh, you know, enjoy the college life, uh, campus there at college park. So, uh, that was by far my best memory getting to hit that home run. And I had a couple of good memories, uh, pitching as well, but I think the home run, uh, takes the cake.
0: All right, Adam can't thank you enough for taking the time, obviously, congratulations on your entire career, and especially on winning the world series this past year, we wish you continued success and looking forward to watching you, uh, win another one in 2021.
2: That'd be great. Thanks for having me.
0: So our thanks again to Adam Kaleric. Matt, that was just really a great conversation. Enjoyed learning about what he learned about himself at Maryland and really his grind through the minor leagues is what I found most interesting, how he stuck with it, had to change his delivery, but ultimately, obviously it paid off wins a world series and has a chance to go win some more.
1: Yeah, and I think one thing that sticks with me that he said was how, even when you make it to the big stage, you, are really never just staying there. You have to perform every night, every single time you're out there. So when you make it to the big leagues, you never really know what's going to happen. And I think he has one of the best stories, having spent so many years in the minor leagues, makes it up finally to the big leagues and wins a World Series. So I'm excited to see what 2020 brings at him.
0: Absolutely. So this is my last episode of the Maryland Baseball Network podcast. I'll be handing off MBN to Matt Levine and Ben Curtis. Very excited to see what they do. Obviously, a huge thanks to Jake Eisenberg, Justin Galanti, Connor Newcomb, everyone else who helped me along the way at MBN. Obviously, my time here did not end the way I thought it did, but I'm very excited to see what the Terps can do in the coming years. Matt, best of luck to you. And to everyone listening, thanks for following. Hope you uh, continue to follow and can't wait to see what the Terps do in 2020.